All right, church, well, we are going to continue in this incredible book, and I'm going to be honest, it, this, uh, if, you, if you've been following along, and if you've walked with us as we have slowly, as I've received so many jokes, we've slowly gone from verses 1 through 5 um, over the course of several weeks. Uh, if, you're, if you're reading this in context, uh, these verses seem a little bit out of place, uh, because it goes from this cosmic, uh, prehistoric, pre-creation, like, uh, introduction to the eternal um, nature, the magnificence, the radiance, the power of Jesus, that this is who is coming into the world, right? And then it's going to continue in that, right? It's talked about he's the life and he's the light. And, and in verse 9, it's going to go back to the true light, which gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. And it's going to talk about his incarnation. But right here in the middle, it seems to be this disjointed, um, kind of awkward insertion of this other guy, John. Like, and we know about John. We know that he belongs in the story of Jesus. We know that he belongs in the story of, of you know, Jesus' birth and coming, you know, being born before him and you know, you know, Mary's cousin Elizabeth, all of those things. Like we're, we're familiar with his story, but if we're being honest about John's approach here, uh, as he writes this gospel, if you've not been with us, he's writing this gospel with the intent uh, so that people may believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and may receive salvation through him. That, that, that's his intent, to write this gospel so that those who read it would believe. And so he's, he's going to great lengths to introduce Jesus, not just from his you know, bloodline heritage, not just from his physical uh, location of Nazareth and Bethlehem, as some other gospel writers have done, but all the way back to creation, and then he goes here. So what is, what is with this strange insertion about this man named John. Now, the, the SV doesn't actually name uh, John, John the Baptist here, but we know that's who he's referring to. The, the Baptist part, the baptisms, uh, which is where he gets his name. He was John the Baptizer is probably a more accurate name, but uh, those are sort of peripheral for, for, for John's purposes. For John's purposes, he's introducing John, and he will just refer to him as John. So John wrote the book, but he's referring, so this is John the evangelist writing the book, the friend of Jesus writing the book, and here he's talking about a man named John, who we know as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And, and, but for John's purposes here, he would much rather just refer to him as John or maybe John the witness. That's going to be what's attached to John's role here um, in this prologue. So we're still in the prologue. We're still getting introduced to this Jesus. So why does John make his way into this introduction of this cosmic, prehistoric, creating, all-powerful, no beginning, there will be no end, Jesus? Where does John fit into this? And I want you to hear, um, honestly, it would flow better if, it, if, if we're being honest, from you know, 4 and 5 to just skip right to 9. And then you got another insertion in verse 15, which we didn't read, but you'll see verse 14 is talking about the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory is the only Son of, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then it's in parentheses because, honestly, it feels that clunky. Those weren't in the original um, you know, writing, but the, the translators feel like it needs to be noted that this doesn't seem to fit. So they say, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So there's that, right? It's in there. But it would be, it would make more sense if that just wasn't in there in so many ways, right? If we just write from verse 14, he comes full of grace and truth. It's his glory. 
For from his fullness we've all received, if he just goes right to 16. But yet again, it's, it's inserted in there. And then we're going to jump into, we're going to read part of this first uh, kind of narrative uh, of the Gospel of John. We're going to get part of it, and then we'll come back to the, the narrative about John and kind of um, you know, reference back to this passage later. But, but why is John so closely tied here? Well, here's, here's what I think John, like the evangelist, the author John, wasn't like just throwing things in randomly. I don't think he doesn't want those parentheses in there. He wants us to take note of, of something that he is going to at great lengths to, to make sure we're aware of what God is doing. Because what John is writing about, the reason he goes back to creation to introduce who Jesus is, is because Jesus has come to do what? A recreation. Jesus has come to bring about new creation. Jesus will say later, I've come to make all things new. We know the, the passage from 2 Corinthians 5 that if anyone's in Christ, behold, um, all things, old things have passed away, all things have become new. We know about Jesus' new creation, and this is what John wants us to have in context, that the creator, the one who made it all in the beginning, is the same one who put on flesh and is coming into the world to make things new. So this is good news for you. I want you to have in your mind your life, your broken life, your story that may not be the way that you thought it should be, you, your story uh, of, of your life that, that has twists and turns and, and you know, detours in, in ways that you wish you could take back or you wish were never a part of your story. I want you to have all of that in mind as you're reading this gospel, and I believe that, that John does too. But, but then also, John wants us to know that this recreative work, it's not just simply something that we sit back and watch Jesus do, but rather it's something that he does in us and then sends us out to be a part of doing. And that's why we find this insertion of John the Baptist here. As we see, just like the Word was, was with God in the beginning, and then the Word was, was sent by God, the Word came on his own accord, Jesus was God. Here it says in verse 6 that there was a man sent from God. So this is an intentional commissioning of John the Baptist to do a particular work in the role of Jesus bringing about a new creation. There, there, is, there is no accident here. It's not that, that you know, Jesus was about to come and God was like, you know what, I need somebody to like talk about him before he shows up. I need somebody to like kind of run a trailer for him or, or somebody to just go ahead and be a herald for him. No, God from the very beginning knew that as, as the uh, entrance of his Messiah would, would, would be nearing, that he was gonna send before him a forerunner, a messenger, a voice in the wilderness, and this was John. You, you may go back to the story and you know that, that John was born from parents who were really too old. They, they'd passed their, their childbearing years and, and God uh, miraculously gives Zechariah and, and Elizabeth a baby. And, um, and it's a crazy story because Zechariah is a high priest and he's in, he's in, the, 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 um, in the temple that day. It's his, it's his moment to go in and, and you know, offer the sacrifices and, got, and sends an angel and speaks to him and tells him that he's going to have a son and his son is going to prepare the way of the, of the Messiah. And, and Zechariah like, doesn't believe it and so he gets struck like he can't speak until the baby is born. Um, and, and it's this moment of, okay, this baby has a particular purpose that is going to be sent before the coming Messiah. Now, this is all has to be in context for you. So before we started the book of John, we finished the book of what? You might remember? Man, you guys are disappointing. <laughs> Malachi. 
right? We did another series in between there, so I'll give you some grace. But we did the book of Malachi, and, and um, the book of Malachi is, is the final word from the Old Testament. It's God's final prophet that he sends, and then there's 400 years of silence. So God hasn't sent a prophet in over 400 years, and, and yet this is, this is the beginning of this moment whenever Zechariah gets the news that his baby boy is going to be born to be the prophet that goes ahead of the Messiah. There's, there's this hope that begins to brew. There's this rumor that begins to brew. Nobody knows if it's for sure. Nobody knows how it's going to play. Because when God speaks that these things are going to come before, we don't know how soon. and how. But, but here's what's brewing. And so John the Baptist, that's the context with which his life begins. And even in the womb. You know that whenever Mary shows up to Elizabeth's house, there's the, the Mary or the Elizabeth who's too old to have children, and she's there um, carrying this baby that uh, God has miraculously put in her. Mary shows up. She's too young and not married yet to have children, uh, and yet she, when she steps in the room, the baby inside Elizabeth's belly leaps for joy, right? And, and why? Because he's already feeling, he's already had the Spirit of God put in him to, to be the one who celebrates, goes forward, and tells of Jesus' coming. And so that's who this John is. But what I want you to hear and see is that this is not just a random, like God goes like, okay, I need somebody to go tell about Jesus' coming, and he picks somebody out of the crowd. This is ascending. This is a God who has, uh, in the same, the same God who's creating and sending the world out into existence, sends John out to be what? A witness. A witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So John is, is, is presenting John the Baptist as a witness. Now, you have a context for what it means to witness, and that's pretty helpful, honestly. If you think about what it means to be a witness, you might be called to give a testimony of an event that you saw, that you witnessed, right? And, and to tell, okay, what happened here? It's a way to verify the truth. It's a way to validate what actually happened. We use this in legal terms. We use this in our context. And this is all John wants us to have this in mind. John wants us to see this very much as a, as a trial-like thing, not that that, um, you know, that we're putting Jesus on trial, but rather that Jesus shows up and is putting the world on trial. And that Jesus is showing up and to put the world in a place of, of judgment where they all, we all must realize that we are in need of a Savior. If you don't know that and you're here wondering what Christianity is about, it's not about some do good, try harder, maybe you'll get better and get on the varsity team and get into heaven. It's about, no, nobody makes the team. Nobody's good enough. We're all failures. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And as we walk through that in the coming weeks, you're going to see that's very much what John is, is showing, that Jesus shows up. He is the light. The darkness hasn't overcome it, but as he shines in the darkness, the darkness doesn't recognize it, doesn't overcome it, doesn't understand it, doesn't comprehend it. This is what he's putting forward. So John says, I'm writing this so that you'll believe. So he's going to begin to uh, develop some witnesses, some testimonies. We're going to see the other disciples will do that. We'll see women and men that he rescues, heals, sets free, calls back from the dead. They're all going to be this growing witness that Jesus is indeed who he says he was, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. So it starts here with John. He's setting this forward. So here's what I want you to see, that God's plan for new creation. I want you to keep that in the context, that Jesus is the creator. He's coming into the world to bring about a new creation. But in this movement, in this work of new creation, God intends for it to come about through 
human witness. And this is incredible for us. You think about what God intended for us to be. He makes us, back in the Garden of Eden, he he makes us in his image. He tells us to go rule in his name, right? That's all witness-like, like go and and be God's image bearers on the earth. The people who can't see God, they're going to see you, and they're going to get a reflection of who God is. You're going to be telling a witness or giving a testimony about the glory of God. Even as God begins to call Abraham and make for himself a people, make for himself the people of Israel, drawing them out of rescuing them out of Egypt, forming them in the wilderness, forming them into a nation of Israel. It's all for what? To be a witness to the rest of the world. This is what God has been doing. This is what he's been stirring in us. This was our intended purpose from the beginning, was to be God's glorifying, image-bearing witnesses to the rest of the world. But we have fallen into sin. And this sin has broken the world, and the world has taken its toll on our lives and on our bodies and on our hopes. And we are no longer in the image of God because of our sin. But Jesus has come, and he's going to be doing a work of new creation. We're going to see that he's going to be taking people who have been long forgotten, long given up on by the world because of their mess, because of their sickness, because of their sin, because of their filth, because they're, they're long forgotten. Like I, I want you to think about the people in your life, or maybe this is you, that nobody has any hope for anymore. The addict who just can't get sober. The dad who just can't get his temper under control. The, the, the marriage who just isn't going to make it. The, the people that are, are in the margins of society. I want you to have that in mind. And that's who Jesus comes and begins to bring new life out of begins to transform their lives miraculously showing this work that I am the creator and I'm here to make new creations. I'm here to forgive the sin, to restore the sinner, and to start this work of image bearing all over again. This is what Jesus is coming for. And he wants us to know that in this new creation, he's going to be sending us out, sending people out to be the witnesses, the ones who are telling about Jesus. So John is sent forth as a prototype. As, as, as we learn that Jesus is coming, we were talking this week in the men's study that Jesus uh, you know, has this moment of being baptized. Did Jesus need to be baptized? No, but he's, he's doing it to fulfill all righteousness that is set before people. So he's setting an example. Did Jesus need to hear from his father that he was well-pleased in him? No, Jesus knew that. But why? Because Jesus is setting for us Uh, He's the firstborn of this new creation. He's going to show us this is what it means to be adopted into the family of God, that we also will be accepted, loved, and well-pleased in God's eyes. Like that, he's, he's setting this forward. So likewise, he's sending John to say, okay, this is how people are going to believe in Jesus through witnesses, through people, human testimony going forward. So John puts it in here because he wants us to know it's not just like, extracurricular. Some of you are like, yeah, I know some, I know we're supposed to evangelize. I know we're supposed to witness. I know we're supposed to tell people about Jesus, but that's what we pay you for, Jordan, right? Or, or that's why we send out missionaries. Or maybe I'll get to it if God sends, uh, uh, you know, it, it, you, some of you are like, well, I mean, if God puts like a lost person like right in my face, of course I'll try to tell them about Jesus. But here's the deal. John wants you to know, no, no, this is absolutely the plan of how people experience redemption is by hearing it from other humans' mouths. It's a witness. 
So he wants you to see, this is how I'm setting this up. This is how the new creation will go. Jesus is coming. He's coming to save people. And there are, there are going to be witnesses. There are going to be people who open their mouths and share the good news of the gospel to let the world know. This is John's role. He is the last Old Testament prophet. He's the one that was prophesied about in Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 40. He, he is the one who was said, will be a voice crying in the wilderness with the spirit of Elijah. He'll be asked later, are you Elijah? He says, no, but he comes in the same spirit and the power of Elijah. And, but, so he's the last Old Testament prophet, but he's also the first New Testament preacher. He becomes the prototype, the normative um, you know, what it looks like to be a minister, to be a pastor, a preacher in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, pointing people to Jesus. This is John's role. He's bridging the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so this is the new creation process. Romans 10 says this, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without what someone preaching or telling, and how are they to preach unless what? They are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So here's, here's the deal. This is God commissioning John the baptizer to be the one who goes and telling everybody, hey, Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. Salvation has arrived. Your hopes, your longings, your sin, it's all culminating here. Jesus has arrived. He is the one. And John's not the last one. It's not like that. that's over now that Jesus has arrived. Jesus says, just as I've sent, uh, Jesus, when he's ascending into heaven, what, is, what does he say to his disciples? Just as the Father sent me, so I am sending you, John 20, 21, right? We are called to be witnesses. Matthew 9, Jesus is looking at the brokenness of the world. And what does he say? All right, guys, you just hang tight. I got a lot more work to do. There's a lot of people that need my salvation. What does he say? Matthew 9, he says, the harvest is plentiful. I believe Jesus says this through tears. He's weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And he says, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Again, what does he say? Hang on, guys, I'll, I'll go take care. No, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to do what? Send out laborers into his harvest. So what you see is that God, as he's doing a new creation, is sending people out. He will get his witnesses. He will put people in a position. He will call them, send them, equip them, and, and send them to wherever he wants them to go. That might be to your workplace. That might be across your street to your neighbor. That might be across the world to an unreached people group. But here's what we're seeing from John. Jesus intends to get his glory, and he will use his people to be his witnesses. He will do the sending. He will call them out. We're, listen, church, I, I, I didn't plan this. I just said, hey, we're going to preach through John. But, but I believe the Lord is doing something in our midst. As we went over uh, on our mission trip to Central Asia, and as we asked someone to come and preach to you all while we were gone, what did he talk about? The local church sending out, the local church being on global mission, being the place where God sends out missionaries from Acts chapter 13, that the church is gathered, they're worshiping, they're being guided by the Spirit, and in that moment, God says, send Paul and Barnabas, send them out. Guess what? That 
like if he doesn't send Paul and Barnabas, the gospel doesn't get outside of Jerusalem and it doesn't get, eventually it doesn't get to us. Like that's what catalyzes and starts the, the church planning missionary movement is God sending out his witnesses. And we see the church continue that work as God sends out his people. We could even go back a little bit further and say the people of God, like early on in Acts, like they knew that God wanted, like he said, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea and, and, and Samaria and, and to the ends of the earth, right? Like here, 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 and, and all the way out. But did they go initially? No, they stayed. It's a little comfortable, right? What does God do? He sends persecution. He says, all right, you're not going to go. I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to send you. I'm going to make my witness happen. So God is ascending God, and he sends out his people. Okay, We came home. We, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. We, like I believe that God is doing the work of sending. I, I heard, as I listened to John Piper talk about this message, he said that God just laid upon him that if, if you could, God's saying, like, if you could see all that I'm doing in this world, you would know. You'd be overwhelmed at how active I am. If you could see all that I'm doing, all the work that I'm doing in this world, you would, you would shout for glory at, at what all is happening. Because, see, we, we don't always see it. It's under the surface. It's spiritual. It's not always physical. And, and, and Satan is really good at magnifying what's in front of us, right? God lifts people's eyes, overwhelms us with an with a, with a image and a, and, a, and a picture of who Jesus is. And just like Isaiah, in that moment when we're beholding the glory of God, and then God says, okay, I've got a message. Who will go for me? Whom shall I send? It's only when we see Jesus for who he is that we're compelled to go, here I am. Send me. So I believe he's doing that sort of work in some of you. I, I, I get overwhelmed and, and, and I just, I weep whenever I think about the work of the missionaries that we went to visit in Central Asia. And I have for years. And, and there was a moment where I thought, man, maybe, maybe we should go. Maybe that's, maybe God's calling us. But then I, I really, and I, I feel this, God situated and said, no, I want you to be the one that sends others. I want you to stay and I want you to call. I want you to put this message forth and I'm gonna send others from within your church. And honestly, I kind of forgot about that because then stuff got really hard here for a while and then COVID and all these things that as we're leaning back into this, I believe God is sending, like he's ascending God and I believe he's gonna send some of you to pack up your bags and go all the way to unreached people groups. But guess what? Even if it's not to unreached people groups, he's still sending all of us, all of you, all of us, to be a witness. You say, well, I don't know. I just do this, or I work from home, or whatever. I, I, I promise you, if you will open up your eyes to all the interactions you have in your day-to-day, God has people that you're rubbing shoulders with. Acts 17 says, it's not accidental that you live where you live, that you play where you play, that you work where you work that you live in this time that you live in. All of it, God has you there. You. You don't just, like, what we're going to see is, like, we're not supposed to get obsessed with the pastor, the preacher, the messenger. John says, no, 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 it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the light. So it's not like, well, we got a good pastor. I hope we're going to do some good work. No, no. You, us, when we take the gospel forward, when we share the light, when we start to be the salt and the light in our community, that's when the witness goes forward. That's how God intends for us to take forward his kingdom. So how do we do that? Let's 
Let's keep going. Let's look at verses 19 through 28. Let's see how, does, how, how is John a witness? What example does he put forward for us? As he says, uh, he's not the, he, he came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He's not the light, right? So clear over and over again, he's not the light. John says this as he's writing about John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist says it over and over again. I'm, I'm not the light, but I came to bear witness about the light. Verse 19 says, this is, this is how he does it. This is the testimony of John. So John is, is you'll, we'll see as we get into this in a few weeks, John is getting attention. He's doing a ministry. He is uh, the peculiar fellow dressed strangely, eating weird food, doing cool things out in the desert. And people will go and watch a show like that, right? And so people are showing up. They're being baptized. They're, God is doing this work. And there's a movement happening. And it's getting attention. Enough attention that uh, the religious officials send somebody to go, hey, go, go figure that out. Go see what's going on out there. And so he sends some priests and Levites. These are kind of um, lower-end um, employees of the, the nation and, and the temple. These are, these are people, they're not, they're not high priests. They don't have a ton of status. They're kind of the worker bees, if you will. They're sent out um, from Jerusalem to ask John, who, who are you, right? Who, what, what are you doing? Who, who are you? What should we know about you? Right behind this, we can we can see that the religious people are probably starting to wonder. Okay, do we need to be nervous about you? You're getting a lot of attention, a lot of power. Are you going to take our power from us, or should we be getting excited about you? Are you going to be the one that leads a charge against Rome? Are you going to be the one that that you know brings a, a kingly Messiah to bear? Like, who are you? And John confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I went like. This is an English attempt at, at translating what is a really emphatic response. Okay, so John is, is a little bit uh, like, this is, he is, he's making a profound statement. This is his testimony. Imagine him on a witness stand. Who are you? What's this about? And so he's, it says, verse 20, he confessed. He did not deny, but confessed. So there's an emphasis here. There's, a, there's, some, there's some passion behind John's answer. And he goes, I am not the Christ. We don't know if that was from an explicit part of the question or if he just knows what they're wondering. He says, I am not the Christ. And they ask, well, then what then? Are you Elijah? So if you know part of the, the Old Testament history, there's, uh, there's this prophet who was incredibly powerful. He's got some awesome stories in the book of 1 Kings. He's the one that does the showdown on the mountains with the bulls, and uh, it's awesome. Uh, but, but he doesn't die, right? He, instead, he, he r rolls up into heaven on a chariot. It's an awesome thing. And so uh, we're told, like, you know, there's going to be a prophet sent back in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So they're wondering, okay, is this Elijah sent back? Is this the reincarnate or, the, you know, like he never died. So God sent Elijah back, and, and he goes... He said, no, I'm not. There's some confusion there because most would equate John the Baptist with the ministry, the spirit of Elijah. But I think it's just that. It's the spirit of. It's not reincarnation. Like we, there's, there's more to that at the end times. There's, there's kind of this, you know, there's a lot we could dig into that. But, but simply John says, no, I'm not. Well, then are you the prophet? Now this for them is, is referring to a particular prophet that they were told would come uh, in conjunction with or as a part of the Messiah. So are you, are you, the, are you the prophet uh, pertaining to a particular prophecy? And John, again, says, no. So they said to him, well, then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So they're going, listen, dude, I, I don't know who you are. I, like, I get a picture, they're going, we don't really care who you are, but we were sent, we've got to give them an answer. 
Have you ever dealt with anybody like this? They just they won't they won't tell you what you're actually wanting to know. They just keep telling you what they just keep telling you no. They just keep telling you the answers of who they're not. And they're saying, hey, dude, just who are you? If you're not all of these, we're out of guesses. We're not playing your game, John. Like, who are you? We need an answer. He says this. I am what? I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. I'm not the light, right? I'm not the one. I'm not the Messiah, but I'm simply a voice. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He says, that's me. This is bold because he's actually conflating himself with the prophecy from Isaiah that said he would come. So it's not that he's not, it's not that it's not a big deal that John's here. It is absolutely a big deal that John's here because John was sent to tell us what? That the Messiah's here. So it's not that it's not a big deal, but John's making it clear. I'm not the big deal. It's not about me, right? Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, right? That's kind of a note for later because it's and a conflict's going to brew. But they ask him, then, then why are you baptizing? What are you doing then if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? What, what are you doing? What is this about? And John says, well, I, I baptize with water, but there's one among you. Right? And even, even though he comes after me, which is, which is crazy, and we'll come to that in a, in a moment, but even though he comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany. So here's, here's the story. Here's what's happening. They're, they're, they're sent because his ministry is getting some attention. And, and they're wanting to know, okay, who, what's, what's going on, man? Who are you? Are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. John is going to show us what it means to be a witness to Jesus. So much so that Jesus himself, Matthew 11, will say that John was the greatest man to be born of a woman up until his time. The, like, the greatest, this is Jesus' own words. Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now, what's this about? It's interesting. You need to think about it because John is not a prolific leader. He doesn't have a huge church. He doesn't have money. In fact, he's a weirdo that lives in the woods that didn't do much of anything for the first 30 years. Kids, or parents, are you proud of your kids? Are you wondering if your adult kids are ever going to do anything? John had a particular promise attached to him. I don't know what the first 30 years were like, but much like Jesus, he, he lives quietly without a public recognition for 30 years. He's born six months ahead of Jesus, and yet he's not done anything until it's time. And so what, what makes John great? Again, not by the world standards. Nobody's calling John great. He's starting to get a ministry. He's starting to get some attention. He's got some status. His dad was a high priest, right? There's, there's some social status there. But again, you imagine your, your dad's a high priest, but you're the weirdo that lives in the woods and eats honey and locusts. People talk about that guy. Not with status and prestige in mind. They're like, man, Zacharias boy is off the rails. Have y'all seen him? His hair is all like wild and like probably got bugs in his beard. Like he's wearing weird clothes. Like this is the guy everybody talks about. And yet Jesus says, of all the men born of women, there's no one greater. Think about that for a moment. We're going all the way back. The great King David man after God's own heart, 
author of the Psalms? Like, what about Moses? Abraham, right? This is a bold statement from Jesus. But he says, man, Jesus says this guy is the, the greatest to have been born of women up to this moment, right? He, why? Here's the deal. I want you to see very clearly this illustration of what Jesus would teach, what is so true in the gospel over and over again. Jesus says, you want to find your life? Come lay it down. Those who seek to find their life and try to save it, those who are trying to get something out of this world, they're going to be disappointed. But those who give it all up for me and for my sake, they're truly the ones that find it. You go all the way back to our purpose. What's our purpose? To honor God, fear God, obey him, bring glory to him. Put the light back on him. Why is John the greatest? Because he seems to understand. He's not perfect. Okay, It doesn't say he was perfect. It doesn't say he was without sin. But it seems that more than any other human up to this point, he's understood his purpose is not about him, but it is about Jesus. That he's given his life fully and wholly to making much of Jesus. This is why Jesus says, John's the greatest man. Like, this is an embodiment of what Jesus will call us all to, to find our life, not in the pursuit of our own glory, but rather in the complete giving up and surrender of our own ambitions, of our own life, our own popularity, of our own comfort, of our own pleasure, our own gain, and find our life, come alive as a nobody next to Jesus. Listen, John could have postured up here. He could have said, yeah, you know, about my baptism, it's just a little idea I had. It's working pretty well, isn't it, right? See the crowds? Yeah, I mean, I'm really a nobody. I mean, I know you haven't heard of me, but I got this thing, I got this strategy. John could have got a book deal, right? Somebody's going to read that. How'd you draw a crowd into the desert wearing all that wacky stuff, John? What, what's with the honey and locust diet, John? Should we all do that, right? He could take his, don't act like y'all don't watch this nonsense on Instagram and all these people, like, right? The honey locust diet would be trending, right? It would be like, oh man, everybody, like, let's do what John the Baptist did. Like, he could have leveraged this movement, this popularity, right? What does he do? He shows us how we're supposed to be a witness. He shows us how we're supposed to be obsessed with the light and not with ourselves. He shows us the path toward fulfillment, the path toward life, the path toward purpose is to be obsessed with, ourself, with, 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 with the light and not ourselves. Let's read the rest of Matthew 11. Because he said, Jesus says, up until this point, there's been no man born of a woman who's greater than John the Baptist, yet... The one who is, what, the least in the kingdom of heaven is what? Greater than he. He says, nobody has lived life more closely to their, their God-ordained purpose than John the Baptist. But he's just the beginning. Because all who, who become the least in the kingdom of heaven will become even greater than he. Why? John is an magnificent 
figure who bridges the Old Testament to the New. He's born at, a, at just the right time to play this incredible role in the ministry of Jesus. But even John doesn't have the full revelation. John doesn't know all that's going to happen. John has its moments of doubt later in the ministry going, well, I, I, is that really Jesus? Like, I'm not sure. It's not exactly how I thought it was going to go. And he dies before Jesus is resurrected. So yes, John plays this incredible role and he gives it all to make much of Jesus. But, but Jesus is saying, listen, it's just getting started. What John plays his role well, we are all going to fall in line with him and give our lives to make much of Jesus because what John knew in part, we get to know in full. That the ministry of Jesus was not just about healing. It wasn't just about some good teachings, that it was about salvation. It was about conquering death, sin, and the grave and overcoming it with a resurrection and giving life to all people. So this, this is the new creation formula that God is putting forward, witnesses telling this is indeed Jesus, Jesus taking people and giving them overwhelming satisfaction, overwhelming glory to give their lives to Jesus. You may have heard of Count Zizendorf. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've heard this quote, though. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. You heard that? This comes from, I think he was an Austrian-born um, German. Parents had high expectations for him. Parents come from status. But his life gets gripped by Jesus. And instead of pursuing that status like his parents had hoped, he gives it all to Jesus. And he becomes... A missionary. In fact, he would be a part of who would send some of the first missionaries to our continent, to the North American Native Americans. And he's attributed with this quote, man, we're supposed to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. But uh, we, we can't find a direct quote from there. We, we, we believe that actually it, it comes from a fuller quote that says, remember, you must not use your position to lord it over the heathen. Instead, you must, be humble, you must humble yourself and earn the respect through your own quiet faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, the missionary must seek nothing for himself, no seat of honor or hope of fame. Like the cab horse in London, each of you must wear blinkers that blind you to every danger, to every snare and conceit. You must be content to suffer, to die, and to be forgotten. Elsewhere he says, I have but one passion, it is he. It is he alone. The world is the field and the field is the world. And henceforth, that country shall be my home where I can be most used in winning souls for Christ. Preach the gospel. Die and be forgotten. John embodies that. He shows us how to be a witness. He intently defers attention away from himself and back toward Jesus. He intently says, it's not about me. I am not the light. I am not the big deal. I am just the voice crying in the wilderness telling you the big deal is coming. I am just the one who, whom I'm here with a message that the one who you need to know about is coming. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. When, G, when John says that in verse 27, like, we don't, like, okay, that's a nice saying. Listen, the, the, the task of undoing the master's sandal, the, the shoes, and washing their feet was given to the lowest slave, not even a servant. 
Servants were far more dignified to, to be able to, to, to do that. So this is the lowest of the slaves we were given this role of unclasping uh, the, the, the sandal and, and beginning to wash the feet. And so John's saying, listen, I'm not a big deal. Whatever you've heard about me, I'm just here to point you to him. He is the one that you need to be obsessed with. We need to be obsessed with Jesus and not ourselves. And that is what leads us to find greatness in the kingdom of God. That is what leads us to glory. That is what leads us to a life fulfilled. So we need to first evaluate what have we pursued? What have we put up as, as what is valued in this life? What are we pursuing? What are we hoping for our kids? Are we hoping for ourselves that is really about us and not about Jesus? Do we need a new paradigm for how we view success and glory? What do we get excited about when our kids do? What do we don't do? What do we get excited about when we get attention for? Is it about Jesus or is it about us? Because John shows us that we doggedly, emphatically give all the glory to Jesus. And this is what leads Jesus to say, that person, that's how I meant for them to live. That's what leads to life. So that's the biggest message for us is to know that we are, we are sent. Like God is going to send his witnesses. And that the way to be a witness is to not seek glory for ourselves, is not to pursue things for us. It is, it is to give all the glory to Jesus. So that's, a, that's, a, like, that's easy to say. There's a whole lot of implications to that. So much of our world, so much of our formative, cultural, like, shaping is about making much of ourselves, making ourselves powerful, making ourselves comfortable, making ourselves meaningful, making ourselves rich. Jesus comes and says, that's all a lie, and it will let you down. It will not fulfill, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. How do you do that? You give all the rest of it up, and you give it all to me, and that will lead to your glory. That will lead to a fulfillment that is deep and long-lasting that cannot be taken from us. Lastly, I think there's an implication here for us to know that not only are we supposed to be obsessed with the light and not ourselves, but we're also supposed to be obsessed with the light and not his witnesses. Okay, so this is a subtle implication here, but as you see, John does become Old Testament prophet to New Testament preacher, and he becomes a prototype for what it means to be a pastor. And I don't know if you've noticed in our world, but we're, we are really inclined to become obsessed with his witnesses instead of him, aren't we? We're really inclined to platform, to put up people that are good at preaching, uh, that have the best YouTube videos or whatever, and, and, and we can get off course by latching on to what are simply supposed to be Witnesses. So we are to be aware of the witness that needs attention for himself. We are to be aware of the preacher who constantly angles to put himself in a good light and returns again and again to his ministry, to his achievements. We are to be aware of the preacher's subtle preoccupation with himself, even when he speaks of his own flaws. Be aware of our own bent to love the praise of men and be aware that that is a, is a temptation that can befall a lot of pastors and preachers, especially in today's world where it's easy to get hits online. And, and man, there, there's, it, it, can, it could start out with good motivation, but it can get twisted in the pursuit of our own platform. And so we need to make sure as a people, and there's so many subtle ways that we guard against this, but we need to make sure as a people that we're obsessed with the light 
and not his witnesses. Amen? That means whoever we're, we're, whoever's preaching, whether, it, whether it's me or whether it's you know, a, a celebrity that you're more familiar with or whether it's a guy with his first sermon that you've never heard of and might not be that entertaining to you, listen, if he's preaching about Jesus, we glorify. If he's preaching about Jesus, we rejoice because we're obsessed with Jesus and not his witnesses. It's a careful distinction in today's world of consumeristic Christianity. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. People are, people are doing this very thing. They've gotten obsessed with the witnesses instead of the light, right? Instead of the, the glorious one of Jesus, they're going, man, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Peter. Like, he goes, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're all servants through whom you have believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is what? Anything. Other translations would say we are not anything. We're nothing. But it is God who gives the growth. So we need to be obsessed. We know that God is a God who sends out his witnesses. And you're his people. Don't be surprised when he sends you. As his witnesses, we are to be a people who are obsessed with the light and not ourselves. And then as a people following and being shaped, being formed in him, we need to make sure that we're obsessed with the light and not his witnesses. Not with ourselves and not with his witnesses, not with his preachers, not with the coolest, whatever. We need to make sure, listen, practically for me, there's things that flag me. Uh, I get skeptical when a pastor has his own website. Does that mean it's wrong? No, it's just a flag for me. When the agenda of a church's website or a pastor's sermon seems to be to sell a book, or to get me to go to his personal side or something, I, I, get, I get a little cautious. When it seems to be to platform and, and get more clicks, and like, I get cautious. None of those are wrong in and of themselves. And there are some ministers who are not tied to a local church that do an itinerant ministry. It makes total sense for them to have their own website. But when a local pastor is, is more concerned about their attention and their growth and their platform, I get concerned. Right? As I said earlier at the start, may we never be obsessed with who's standing in our pulpit or who's in the seats next to us. May we never be about the church that so-and-so goes to or so-and-so preaches at or so-and-so sings at, so-and-so plays the guitar at, whatever. May we be the church that are overwhelmed and cannot get over the fact that our Jesus is here. The King of glory is here. He went to the cross for us. He went to the grave for us where we belong. And then he broke back out of the grave in resurrection and he's come for us. That's what we're crazy about. That's what we're obsessed with. And that's what we tell people about. Amen? Let's pray. God, may it be to your glory. Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Lord, may you help us to embody what we learned in the first catechism, that what is our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but we belong to you. May you apply that in so many ways this morning to us as we are, are a room full of people who are struggling with our own stuff, our own fears. We're not sure we can be sent because we're not sure where we're going. We're not sure we can be sent because we're not sure we know how to go forward in the next day because we're emotionally, physically, financially overwhelmed. I pray that you would shine brighter than all of that, that you would give us glory and hope that you would stir in us 
the hope that comes from the gospel. That you would send your spirit to shine a light so bright on Jesus, the word, the light, the life and light of men. May you be so exalted in this room, Jesus. So exalted that we all fall on our face before you. That we all give our lives to you to be sent wherever you would have us go and to live with open hands to everything that this world offers and to grip tightly, to cling to you and your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray.